your YouTube feed is crap. Stop wasting your time watching bot-boosted shills and self-appointed gurus cloying for your attention. Instead, join the Goslings interview, live stream, and podcast. The Goslings, a dark-lit digital speakeasy of free thinkers. A super chat of radical truth-seeking wizards who eat trolls for second breakfast. Topics that'll make your mama's hair stand on end. Ideas that'll make your pastor's knees knock. Guests that will illuminate the hidden chambers of your mind. And interviews that strike down the darkness. Welcome to The Goslings. Uh, the first question, is it okay if we jump into questions? Yeah. Um, yeah. You- uh, well, actually, Gary, um, are we good for our standard, like, sort of two-hour kind of thing? Yep. Or what yep. works? You got two hours. Yep. yep. Okay. Sweet. Awesome. Yep. And, and then also- do whatever you want to do. Okay. Nice. What what were some things that that you wanted to talk about or go over? I know you have a new book coming out. Yeah. Yep. Tell us we tell us a little bit that. about that progress. Okay. Are we are we doing the starting the show right now? Yes. Yeah. We okay. Can go ahead and start recording. Okay. Yeah. So do you want to redo the question or do you want to? Uh, yeah. I'll ask the question again. In? Yeah, I'll ask okay. the question again. Absolutely. Yeah. So Gary, tell us about the progress on your second book. I know you've been working on it for quite a while. I have, and it uh, it's one of those things that just takes longer than anticipated. But I'm like, I'm my own worst enemy, so I'm trying to <laughs> make sure I get it right. So I'm in the uh, proofread section of it, okay. in terms of going through what I've put down and trying to clean it up and link it better and things like that, mm-hmm. trim it down a little bit here and there. So I'm on chapter fifty nine of that proofread of eighty four. Nice. And so I'm hoping I have to get a couple sample chapters off to the uh, publisher so I can get it ready for the queue. So I need to do that. I want to I'd like to get it out as soon as I can get it in their hands. And so then depending on what how long it takes after that, because there'll be and I want it. I I appreciate having a full edit process that's done. And then you have Mm -hmm. the back and forth between myself and the editors. And then I have to do uh, a final read to approve it as well. So it's important to get it into that publishing queue if I want to get it out in the first quarter. So um, yeah, I'll be putting that off. But, you know, it's what, what I find is a good sign is that if I like after all the time I've spent on it and I'm doing a proofread, other than the parts that I'm going, what the heck were you thinking there? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, if I if if I'm liking what I'm reading, then that's a good sign because, mm-hmm. you know, you, you know, a lot of times when you're working on something for a long time, you get tired of what you're doing, right? So mm-hmm. to yeah. be able to go back and reread it and say, oh, that's good. Oh, I like that. I like that. I like that. So I'm pretty happy with with how it's flowing and, and, and what's in it. And I think it's going to be an extraordinary book for Christians. Um, it is going to, if you thought the Genesis 6 conspiracy first book sort of made the Old Testament come to life, oh, it, well, it this did. is this is going to do it on steroids and awesome. And if you wanted some sort of help in understanding end time prophecy and trying to understand the context behind end time prophecy, you're not, not only are you going to get the context from prehistory, but you're going to get a lot of examples in the last third of the book, how prophecy unfolds in a very simple, simple way. And it mm-hmm. relies on itself and it relies on the context that it was written before. So I kind of link 
all of that really sort of supernatural stuff the churches like to avoid in prehistory yep. to the really supernatural stuff that churches like to avoid in prophecy. Cool. <laughs> yeah, yes, they yeah, do. They yeah. do. <laughs> Every time. Uh -huh. yeah, they don't want to talk about either of those things. Uh, no, no, they don't, because then people start asking questions. Yeah, you and know? you know, and it's funny because you think they'd at least try to talk about that when it comes to their eschatology and in times. But if they won't even touch on, if they don't even want to talk about Revelation yeah. or Daniel, mm -hmm. you know for sure they don't want to talk about the giants. Yeah, and Genesis yeah, 6. Exactly. Well, and, yeah. and here's the thing that really, for me, when I get behind the sort of specious sort of superficial things that they say on why they don't, um, a lot, and some of the ministers don't even know they're not teaching it, but that's another story in itself. <laughs> uh -huh. it, it's that if you're not explaining revelations to the book of revelations to people, then that means that you're losing Christians because they want to have faith uh, that is reinforced with something that they have that's been given to them that's tangible. And if you can't make sense out of that for them, yeah, what does that tell them about what the church is all about? Mm -hmm. And do they know what they're talking about? Mm -hmm. And are they really being fair arbiters of the truth of God? I mean... Yeah. I don't want to take that too far, but you can't sort of not deal with things that when people, when you're encouraging people to read the Bible and they have questions about it, but you mm -hmm. won't deal with it. Or you say silly things like, well, the Bible's inaccurate because we know there's no giants. Well, mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, I know they don't you know, exactly say the Bible's inaccurate, but that's in essence what they're saying when they say yep. there weren't giants. Yep. Yeah. I, I, how do you how do you reconcile that? Like, how do you keep people? Unless, right. but but the sort of the idea is they transition to it's not, and this is the Gnostic interpretive approach. It's not the superficial narrative in the fairy tale. It's the meaning of the fable, the meaning of the allegories right. that are written in it, and some of the base principles are important. Right. And if that's the hollowness and the best case you can make for the Word of God then there's, to me, it's quite obvious why people don't have the faith in the leadership in the church. They have faith right. in the Bible. They're just looking for help. Mm -hmm. And when they go out into the world and try and get help, it's just a, a minefield of misinformation and disinformation and contradictions and, you know, people making money off of it. So, yeah. And I'm not sure they come away feeling, geez, I, I, you know, I actually understand how that fits together now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's, that's the issue for me. And, and I don't mean to be too critical on the churches. It's just that they're there to nourish the flock. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's almost like if they don't, what do they have to offer if they don't offer that sort of, you know, numinous post-life faith-based hope? What do they have to offer? Prosperity gospel. You yep. know, uh, they yep. example, you yep. know, that's kind of that's the next step underneath that, which becomes, <clears throat> you know, or they they offer that sort of Jordan Peterson route of and I love Jordan Peterson in a lot of ways. But I thought of him when you were just talking now, Gary, in the sense of that, like mythological, you know, parable kind of underpinnings behind the what do these stories mean anthropologically and psychologically? And as much as I love Jordan Peterson, as much of the great work that he does, 
it's like he misses the mark every time when he talks about the Bible because he leaves off, you know, those those truly faith based aspects of things that like, no, there really is a God and Jesus really was his son and is his son. And like that part is real, you know, and there's merit to that. Yeah, there are absolutes. Yeah, there are absolutes. Yeah. yeah. And guess what? Some of those absolutes were giants. <laughs> so yes. I don't know what to tell you. you and, know? If, like... and if you're a believer in evolutionary psychology, mm -hmm. then, you know, there's a 99% probability that you're also going to believe that God evolved as a construct. Yes. Oh, yes, right. Absolutely. You know, in our yeah. minds. Yeah. And uh, I'm not down for that. I know that is not the case. No. I know that it's not the case. You know, my church, you talk about churches are supposed to be the arbiters of, you know, the, the discussion and study of God's word is supposed to be feeding the flock and nourishing us. My church, and I won't say what church it is, but it's a denominational church. Hmm. Uh, and they are the arbiters of their doctrine, of their denominational doctrine. Yes. That's... And they encourage, you know, be in the word, study the word. But it's also important. It's just as important to not do it on your own. You also need us to interpret it for you so that you understand yes. it. Probably and, according to yes. our doctrine and our denomination. Yes, and and you have to be willing to accept how we make pretzels with truth to bend it to our doctrine. Exactly. That is an excellent yep. way of putting it. Yeah. Yep. You know, <clears throat> we have a bunch of questions for you, Gary, but um, I kind of had one that just, I apologize, popped up into my head. And this is something that I've I've run into in the past when I try to describe your work or Derek Gilbert's work, you know, the Genesis six conspiracy written by you or, you know, any of these concepts that we talk about. Sometimes I get pushback as people telling me that these are vain ideologies referenced yeah. in first Timothy, I believe now. Yeah. You know, the three of us sitting here would disagree with that. Yep. Uh, a lot of our audience would disagree with that. But some people might run into that with, you know, your subject matter of just thinking, oh, this is just like some weird way of like yeah. making the Bible cool for people who are Lord of the Rings fans, you know, or something. So, what would you say to that? The irony of vain ideologies? Yeah, it, it's used like the race card to end discussion. Hmm. Yes, that's the first thing, right? That's, oh, and that's, that's genius. And and it's not that that comes out at the end of their argument that they're building to. It starts with that right argument. There. So mm -hmm. because now you're pushed into a position. Oh boy, am, am I really going to be able to explain this, or are they here to publicly shame me? And I don't want to have that happen. Now you're into a whole different sort of scenario. So yeah. yeah. I would I would suggest sort of quickly back to the person who might say that to me is is how would you call the word of God vain? Could you explain that to me? Mm -hmm. Because what I'm talking about is written about in the Bible and supported over and over and over and over and over. Right. Now, are you prepared to make your case biblically hmm. and set that up against my case? and see yeah. how that stands out now it's, a, it's okay to agree to disagree but you can't just say the sons of god aren't humans or aren't are, are humans and not angels and mm -hmm. ignore all of the passages that would support it that says that they are right i can understand how you might disagree with that or don't want to see that as a reality but biblically it's not vain it's biblical doctrine yeah, yeah. and that giant 
comes from the word Nephilim, which means a giant. Mm -hmm. So unless you're saying that the Bible is inaccurate, mm -hmm. unless you're saying that we can't rely on what Scripture says, mm -hmm. then how do you say that the doctrines, the history that's written in the Bible is in vain? Again, yeah. I appreciate that you can disagree with that. Sure. But you have to be respectful of the argument if the case is being made biblically and it's a logical uh, extension. But then they start to go into, they do what I call chase the rabbit argument. Well, what about this? So you answer that. Then they don't, <laughs> <laughs> they, they right. haven't said what you said in the first two previous cases yeah. wasn't true. But then they say, well, what about this? Yeah, and, you they're know, jumping around from thing to thing. Yeah, then they say, well, the word giant doesn't mean giant. Uh -huh. Oh, really? Have you looked it up in a dictionary? Well, it's a tyranny of the giants, as one person did in a, in a debate, debate to me. It's like, is this, is this like a virtual reality, the tyranny of the giant word that's been imposed on the English language? Uh -huh. And then they say, well, it goes back to Greek, and it doesn't mean giant. It means earthborn. Well, that's only half the meaning. Don't, don't leave out inconvenient evidence don't leave out right. inconvenient passages when, yeah. and my advice to people is is that you may not ever win them over but don't be afraid to recognize their rhetoric tactics y yep. yes yeah right yeah. and don't yeah. be afraid to take them on and answer some of them but then challenge them back and say we're not doing chase the rabbit until you deal with what i just said yeah. Oh, yeah. Hold them to boundaries and hold them to standards. Yeah. Yeah. Because exactly. they're holding you to a standard. Yeah. I, I, identifying the tactic is really, really important. Yes. Yeah. It's really important. It's hard for me to do in the moment. I am not a gifted debater by any, by any stretch well, of the imagination. Well, when you understand that the art of rhetoric, the art of verbal tactics comes out of the first three of the sacred sciences that is taught in universities they have a whole series of ways of dismantling and handling somebody else's argument. And so mm -hmm. if you're up against somebody who's been educated in that coming out of university, that's one thing. If you haven't received that same type of education, you feel, wait a minute, this guy's a very good debater. I don't believe what he's saying, but he's able to very skillfully put... Mm -hmm my views into question so you have to yeah. recognize the tactic and if you're and i'm i've not gone to university and uh so but i understand what they teach uh -huh. and so i understand like the straw arguments those are all part of the rhetoric tactics that are taught in university and 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 it's 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 you know i know it's designed for discussion and debate but it's really not right if you were just wanting to teach the ability to communicate what's good you would only teach that aspect you wouldn't teach the aspect of trying to discredit somebody even if they are telling the truth mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's not about the pursuit of truth it's about winning yes yeah yeah and those are two. outmaneuvering uh -huh. in the conversation yeah, yeah. And, and i've known i've known some of those people who you know they're wrong but yeah. they can articulate their position better than you can yes and so you know you end up like losing face you know yep. in in the group or yep. you feel like an idiot 
you know and but do do not fall into the chase the rabbit argument because they're just looking for the one time they can say got you Uh uh-huh yeah welcome to social media verse you haven't looked at that one verse that they've manipulated or taken out of context Mm -hmm. that's when they get you so and they won't they'll start making it more difficult to see how deep your knowledge goes the further you go so if you have unlimited recall you can Mm -hmm. take that on but understand they have a set list that they have practiced rehearsed right and have tried many times so it's like a skit that they're they're just playing out because they're just there mm-hmm. and again not everybody's doing it in that intent but when they use that argument just understand the tactic because they can't make a case themselves all they can do is throw daggers and darts at you yeah that's right they can't build anything themselves they could just yep. tear down what you've spent 30 years building <laughs> researching and yeah. building right <laughs> yeah so you know you're the author of the genesis 6 conspiracy uh, you have your second book coming out, which is a follow-up to that. Uh, it's going to tackle new material. It's Is it going to reframe old material? And do you have a title for it yet? Yes. Uh, the title, depending on final word of the publisher, will be Genesis 6 Conspiracy Part 2, How Understanding Raphaim and uh, Prehistory Helps Define End-Time Prophecy. And what it's designed to do as well, it goes to the heart of what you were talking about in terms of the challenges of the pushback within the church. And believe me, the pushback within the church is a lot more pointed and limited in terms of the scope that they're looking at the Bible at than what you're going to run up against polytheists for the most part. Polytheists mm-hmm. are going to recognize uh, uh, an argument unless they are working on a specific agenda that 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 they're doing. But within the church, it's designed to shut you down because yeah. they don't want this. They don't want it to spread through um, the community. So, what's in this book, uh, particularly in terms of the giants and the prehistory aspect of it, it gives you in a location, a place where you can go and get these answers and give it to people who might disagree with it. So oh, nice. Uh, yeah, it, it was awesome. one of the things that I learned that I needed if, to do the next book was I needed to be able to give Christians an ability to take on arguments that you know, surprised the heck out of me once I got yeah. into social media and places like that. I didn't realize that mm-hmm. environment and mm-hmm. I didn't realize all the different kinds of ex- eschatology, you know, and really? that uh, they expect you to know every sort of version of the ex- eschatology. And to me, it's not, you don't need to know whether it's, you know, this kind of eschatology or that kind. It's just does it fit without contradiction in the Bible? It's really yeah. quite simple. Yeah. 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 It's amazing how people will overcomplicate things just to just yeah. to justify, you know, whatever is convenient for them. Yeah. You know? I have a question for you based on your understanding of uh, of eschatology. Are you um are you a believer at all in the rapture? And if so, when in the timeline do you think that happens? Oh, absolutely a believer in the rapture. Um, and don't let people trap you into that the words 
isn't in there for rapture. It is in Greek that is the source word for what we use as rapture for, mm -hmm. you know, so don't let them, and people want a, uh, some information on that, get a hold of me. So uh, yes, and we know that there's an event um, where there is an instant transformation of people into heaven um, at the last trumpet, at the voice of an archangel, right? Mm -hmm. We know mm -hmm. that that's part of the sequence of the resurrections, which isn't really taught in um, churches as well, where it's Christ, the first fruits. And then when he comes, those who are asleep in Christ and those who are still alive, and then in a twinkling of an eye, we're transformed into heaven. Like it talks about this event. And you, and to get back to the word rapture, you have to go back into the Greek. But don't let people, again, that's designed to stop the conversation. Because they yeah. say the word rapture is not in the Bible. So mm -hmm. it's not an event. Except that <laughs> you have to get there through the original language. But the event is talked about in many, many passages. And it's key to understanding end time chronology. And that... There are different many views as to the timing on when the rapture comes. The thing mm -hmm. that I think Christians can agree on, they ought to agree on, because there's scripture for this event in several different uh, passages, is that there is, a, there is a rapture event that's part of the resurrection sequences as, as is provided to us. And as part of Jesus' coming back and as part of his sign, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So... It's not as important when the timing is. The timing can be used for misleading people in terms of cults, which that we've seen over and over and over and yeah. over. Oh, and yeah. it can be used and is being used by our enemies to take away credibility. So we want to be very careful on the exact timing of it. And we also have to be aware of that if your view of when it's going to happen doesn't happen when you think it's going to happen, not to lose faith. Yeah. Is <clears> this <throat> still going to happen? Yeah. Yeah. And so you have to be ready. But I think the way the world is shaping up is, is that the pre-trib position has the ability to decredit Christianity in such a way that we've never seen because when we get into the last seven years with the covenant mm -hmm. and if that rapture hasn't happened and the christians are out there on mass discrediting antichrist thinking they're going to be taken at any point in time mm -hmm. that's a problem yeah. now the other thing is is that the word of god uses specific words the word of God is not loose with its words. The word right. of God is very accurate so that don't get sort of locked into this idea that tribulation is wrath because all Christians, as we're told, will go through tribulation to get into heaven. It's just whatever that degree is. So if tribulation is wrath, then we would be going through the wrath of God continually. Or mm -hmm. if vice versa, then <coughs> the 
we wouldn't go through any tribulation because we were, were going to be saved from the wrath of God. Yeah. So if you allow mm -hmm. people to conflate them as the same thing, mm -hmm. you're, you're going to have some difficulty in terms of the timing and how it fits into all other prophecies. So tribulation is the word Philippies. Oh. And it's used in, let's say, in Mark, uh, let's say in Matthew 24, you have the great tribulation that happens after the abomination that leads to the day of the Lord's wrath or the year of the Lord's wrath. That's the same word, Philippies, there that is used in Matthew 24 for affliction in about verse 8 that Christians will be going through. But it's translated as affliction instead of tribulation. Now, some people will say, well, that's because the translators had this aura of truth and it needed to be translated that way. Okay, then. So tell me about Mark 13 when it talks about the same great tribulation that Matthew is talking about. The word is affliction. Oh, really? That's and awesome. then if you Dude, look at you know, yeah. this is Bible, Gary knows his Bible, man. This is good. So, you know, the cojones or the lack regulate. of IQ for anybody yeah. who wants to go against Gary in a debate. It's just like, why? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry, Gary. Sorry to interrupt. Okay. Yeah, you're dropping the mic. I love this. Man. Just, it's just why, yeah, like I have, I'm obsessed with learning, right? So I want to yeah. know. And, I want, and so in Revelation 7, you have these saints that are being uh, persecuted, that come out of the great, uh, the tribulation of the saints, not the great yeah. tribulation. That's the great tribulation that hasn't been seen since the beginning of the creation of the earth, as you take that back to Greek. This is the tribulation of the saints, and that's the same word, tribulation, Philippians. You also have in Revelation 2, 8 to 10, you have a discussion about the 10 days of tribulation that is coming. Mm -hmm. So if that's the case, you're going to have 10 years as tribulation, just as a week yeah. is seven years, right? Revelation and Daniel match up perfectly in their allegory and their symmetry. So you have three years at least before the start of the last seven where there's going to be tribulation. So teaching us that tribulation and wrath and backed up by the fact that we're going to go through tribulation and conflating that with wrath, which is the word thumus and orge in Greek, two different words describing the same set of events, okay. is used in conjunction with the year of the Lord's wrath and in Armageddon. Now, you will see tribulation and wrath, Philippians and Orge and Thumus used in some other passages, but they're talking about what something that is tribulation that's going to lead to the wrath, as is talked about with the great tribulation that begins after the abomination. So don't confuse them. And also, when you get back into the Old Testament, you don't have... Uh, a confusion like they do in the New Testament. They ought to if they were going to make that connection. So when you see the trouble um, that is used in Daniel 12, 
that's sort of the equivalent word for Philippians in Greek for the time of trouble, time of Jacob's trouble. But this is the trouble and the tribulation of Israel in the second half. And then you have separate words that are going to be used for wrath and vengeance and things like that, just as you're going to have orge and thumus used for the same type of words in the New Testament. Because there's mm -hmm. perfect symmetry in the old languages, even though there may not be perfect translation into English. Right. Yeah. yeah. It does. It gets lost in translation as it gets put into English a lot of times. Yeah. Yeah. So we know over and over and over that we're told that Armageddon happens at the end of the wrath bowls. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. That is. And again, the argument gets to be is, well, that's not the wrath. Well, that's they're using the words thumus and orge where they're using it later on at armageddon yeah because <laughs> they're used yeah. interchangeably as you go go through that narrative so these are the wrath bowls we're going to be saved from and we know there's a year of the lord's wrath mm -hmm. as in the day of the lord and it's the used interchangeably all through so there's a year of that we're going to be saved from that the wrath bowls yeah. and the year of the lord's wrath and even israel is going to have trouble, but be saved from the wrath as well with Second Exodus, and they're saved in the year of the Lord's favor, as Luke four and Isaiah sixty-two talk about, where Jesus is going to break them out of the jails and lead them into Exodus to meet up with the people of Jerusalem who have fled at the time of the abomination, and in that Exodus, visible Judah from around the world. So they're brought into the covenant again because it starts after the abomination when Judah starts to realize that Antichrist isn't the Messiah. They're going to realize of the one whom they pierced, and they're going to convert back to belief in Jesus as the Messiah, awaken cool. Israel by the 144,000, and the other preaching of the gospel are being awakened and called by name back to God, and they're going to accept Jesus, and they're going to be uh, thrown in jails around the world that they're broken out of after the midpoint of the last seven years, and in the year of the Lord's favor. So you've got a year of wrath, you've got the year of the Lord's favor, and then you've got a reign of sort of uncontrolled antichrist uh, power for about, you know, one and a half years before things start to shift uh, for the visitations, as the Old Testament calls the return of Jesus, the days of visitation, just as you've got days of the Lord in, in the book of Luke, multiple, as, a, as opposed to a singular day, he comes back for rapture, he comes back for second mm -hmm. exodus, and he comes back for Armageddon. Yep, yep. and this is, the, this is the back nine, so to speak, of the tribulation yeah. period, the, the, yeah. the second three and a half year segment. Yeah. I, know that, I know that was a long rant, but it's that just awesome. that, so, so cool. That's why we love question, you, Gary. <laughs> I think the question was, is, you know, do I believe in rapture? So, yes, I do. Um, I think it happens um, based on not having any contradictions. Yeah. And not ignoring inconvenient passages. I think it happens mm -hmm. just after the midpoint of the last seven years. That's always, uh, I think mom and dad were mid-trib. Were they? I think so. Yeah, that yeah. was always kind of the discussion, yeah. at least in a lot of the churches we were at, is that there was an understanding that you would have to go through a period. Of, yeah. you know, a lot of our dad is our dad was in, in gospel music. He's a producer and he had a lot of clients and a lot of his clients were pre-tribbers. Oh, really? Yeah, a lot of pre-trib rapture people. Oh, that's funny. And, uh, well, you know, and, and I grew, and, I grew and, up that way, too. 
Yeah. And who wouldn't want that? Right. Uh, that's what yeah, I want. I'm hoping yeah. for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, boy, so, I got shot down so, the other day because so, I yeah. said, man, they call it the blessed hope. And it is my blessed hope that it's, you know, pre-trib. And man, I yeah. just got destroyed because I made that comment. Like, you don't know the Bible. You're going to hell. You're not. No, a pre- you, if you if they yeah. if your blessed hope is in pre-trib rapture, you have no hope. I'm like, come on, dude. I'm just trying to figure this out. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, there, 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 there's no nothing wrong with cheering for pre-trib. Hoping for pre-trib, <laughs> yeah. right? Praying, yeah. but prepare that that may not be the case is right, the real right. because we don't know exactly the time. Uh, and and I'm not a theologian; I just do research, and I, I let it uh, take me where it goes. But I start with that precept that I've talked about in um, shows past: is that I put everything around what Jesus said, not vice versa. And mm-hmm. I don't apologize for what Jesus said. And I yeah. know people start to use tactics to take that argument apart, whether it's with good intent or evil intent, depending on, I guess, who is doing it. But they'll often say that Jesus only has topic, topographical, or not topographical, but topical uh, subjects that aren't in any order. Yeah. Right? And that way they don't get locked into that chronology that clearly has the abomination at the midpoint of that Uh oration, right? Except that he says words like, and then this happens, and then this happens, and then that Mm -hmm. happens. Mm -hmm. And they say, well, that still doesn't mean that. It's not in any order. But you take that back to Greek and... It is at that time. When <laughs> yeah, it is that he's not make, doing an allegory. He's being, he's talking about it in a format that the disciples had asked for. Yeah. yeah, he said, "When will you come, and what will be those signs?" Yeah, and he walks through all of those signs, and he gives you the context of the fig tree generation as an overarching Mm -hmm. sign that there's one generation and you need to understand what that is. And two other overarching signs are, it will be like the days of Noah. And the first one is right in first overarching sign is right in the beginning of the oration that these are the beginning of sorrows. And you need to understand that they're going to get stronger and intense all the way through. And if you understand that things start to make some sense. So he gave us a chronological order. Yeah, And then when mm-hmm. you start to put every other type of prophecy around mm-hmm. what Jesus said, it starts to make sense. The classic yeah. example and the easiest one, other than using the book of Daniel, which he references you to do, which of course works in perfect symmetry, is 2 Thessalonians 2.4. You put that chronology up with what Jesus said, and it fits perfectly. And it's not that... Paul is defining what Jesus said. It doesn't work that way. They are utilizing what Jesus said in the prophecies that they are providing. Jesus is the word of God, the spirit of prophecy. These are prophets who receive his word. Don't get confused between the two. Don't apologize for what Jesus said. And put everything around what the word said, not vice versa. I love starting with... What did Jesus say about the the end and his coming? Mm-hmm. That passage, that all of it discourse. Uh, mm-hmm. You you start there, and like you said, you know, everything else has to be interpreted through that. You said, I think yeah. you said that last time we talked, and what was interesting. I I was 
reading scripture the other day and I did that. I said, oh, you know what? I've been reading a lot of Revelation. My head is swimming. I'm just going to go back. I'm going to read all of it discourse. And it was crazy because the very first thing to Jesus, they said, Lord, you know, what will be the sign of your coming? Yeah. Uh, and the very first thing he says, don't be deceived. Many will come in my name claiming to be the Christ. Yep. And then he said, there'll be wars and rumors of wars. <coughs> yep. Then he yep. said, there'll be famines. Then yep. he said, there'll be pestilence. The, yep. the, those verses in that order. Yep. And what do you read yep. in Revelation? Yeah. The four yep. horsemen. The force, yeah, the white you, horse, the and you, war, pest, uh, and you, famine, and you, pestilence. And you see those birth yeah. pangs getting stronger in Revelation 6. Up to then, so anything before that in the fig tree generation isn't going to be to that degree. So that's 25% of the destruction. Mm -hmm. And then when you get into the trumpets, it's 33%. And into the wrath of God, Yeah. except that Jesus shortens the days and steps in, Otherwise, all flesh would be destroyed. It would be 100%. Yeah. So understanding exactly what he's saying, and there's a sequence of events. And people also get confused because you have, like, different points that seems to be in the chronology when you don't have a template or don't use, use Jesus as a template is you have, like, the sun darkening and the skies darkening and the stars mm -hmm. not shining. That's part of the um, consequences of the sorrows. So that you're going to have that happen before the seals happen, just not to the same degree as the darkening that is shown in the seal openings. And then it's going to be even more so in the trumpet openings. Mm -hmm. And then it happens again in the wrath bowls, but mm -hmm. at an increasing degree. So we'll, we won't even be able to tell night from day, as the Old Testament says, in that darkening. Mm -hmm. It's not the same. There's different degrees. And so if you understand all of that gets worse, it starts to say, okay, when does the darkening in this passage, in the book of Joel, for example, happens? Or when does it happen elsewhere where I get a prophecy? Well, now you've got some timeline markers where you might be able to fit that in. Yeah, that's so good. You know what I love about talking to you, Gary, is uh, you're such a blessing because like, we are almost 40 minutes into the interview and we haven't gotten to a single one of our like pre-bloated questions yet <laughs> so good <laughs> and it's so been good. awesome oh and we're gonna get so dude when we talk about this type of stuff talk about revelation and man we get so many comments we get oh yeah so many comments on this stuff yeah people love this material yeah. and um yeah, yeah and uh, like it's really this channel and one other channel uh that does your quarterly thing that uh really yeah. kind of zen becomes garcia. like yeah zen garcia that kind of becomes like the hub for you in a lot of ways yeah. um you talk about the sorrows um you know and the increase of sorrows and you know we're seeing that obviously whether you know that's just a generational perspective thing or whether or not it truly is a long form you know chronology uh in times that we are in one of the things that uh, nick brought up uh that i was interested in hearing you talk about was uh the whole ecto life angle yeah. and uh, how they're creating an artificial womb lab. Um, we were curious as to what your thoughts on that were. And, you know, these are these babies being created apart from the creator? Do they have a redeemable soul? Are, are they like a Nephilim reconstruction of sorts? Um, and 
is it even possible that they could like use these things to create an army at some point? and and all and and all credit for the question actually goes that's mike fisher mike fisher's question oh mike yeah. fisher asked yeah, he, he, okay. he asked me if i would pass that on and oh, i nice. thought it was because i i was looking at it as well I'm like, man this is great i'd love to get gary's opinion on this yeah yeah what are your thoughts gary i know it's a ton Sorry. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a great <laughs> question, and I like in terms of the example and the singularity in terms of how it fits to end time prophecy, and it's about the continual advancement of the knowledge that is being, I think, um, provided to us to develop to catch us up to be like the days of Noah, mm -hmm. and so I think, and I make a case that we're just catching up to the knowledge of prehistory because we can't do a lot of the things that they they did like just as the buildings they've left that have lasted right. for so long we can't yeah. do that just right. to, or to that degree of accuracy and sacred geometry and uh, mm -hmm. references to the earth and references to astrological alignments and the solstices and all the things that they've worked into that so this is this is being done in preparation to offer several things and make available several things with the advancement of this technology and so they're going to need to have a promise of godhood with the mark of the beast they're going to need to provide unlimited knowledge to be like a god and mm -hmm. physical <clears throat> world immortality by offering clones and you see a lot of that in the foreshadowing of their entertainment of the ability to transfer your consciousness into this thing mm -hmm. right yep. mm -hmm. so this is also what we would call an oikatarian biblically oh yeah what is that it's like a Oikot heavenly dwelling like a, it is yeah it's exactly that it means a dwelling place for the spirit okay and that word is only used twice in the new testament uh, it is used in Jude 1 6, not coincidentally, for those angels who left their habitation of heaven who committed the crimes at the time of Noah. That word habitation is oikatarian, and it uh, means a dwelling place for their spirit in heaven. So there's a dwelling place for a spirit in heaven, and you need a <laughs> dwelling place for the spirit on earth. Mm -hmm. And so. When you look at the second application, it's in 2 Corinthians 5.2, and it is um, in the word house of heaven. Oh, and that okay. house of yeah. heaven is Oikatarian. So just mm -hmm. as God is promising and Jesus promised us a room in God's mansion, it's kind of similar to that kind of allegory. And similar to that kind of allegory that there's a body of heaven or a dwelling place in a body of the earth as you get in some other passages so this oikatarian if you is required if you want to interact in the physical world as a spirit being you need a place that your spirit can go into so we see two angels and g and pre-jesus the word of god taking a form of humans in the sodom narrative and they mm -hmm. can physically interact in the world and jesus comes back for into an oikatarian that's created by the holy spirit within mary 
-hmm. to hold his spirit so that he can interact in the world, eat, drink, do otherwise, and properly atone as a sacrifice if he's rejected, which, of course, as the Alpha Omega, you know, he already knew was going to happen, and atone for, for the sins. And so this Oiketarian is something that shows up again with in terms of what demons do. They possess because they need a place of rest. It's Mm -hmm. like they're in a dry place. So if they want to interact physically in the world, they need to suppress a host, which Mm -hmm. is usually a violent sort of aspect, and that they can physically interact in the world as long as they possess that individual. And they can possess animals. And one presumes they and fallen angels could, in certain circumstances, have a dwelling place in an idol because there are teraphim in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. And these are defined as talking idols, just as the mark of the beast will be a talking idol. So you might imagine demons, not AI, that may or may be AI with demons interacting with AI. So there's a thought that high technology can be an oiketarian for a spirit. Now, biblically, what underlines what I'm talking about here is, is that we are told that there is a spirit, a soul, and a body. Mm-hmm. The spirit comes from heaven, and when you die, uh, there's a sleep process that the Bible talks about, but the spirit goes back to heaven. Mm-hmm. Right? So only God and Jesus can separate the spirit from the soul. The soul and the body are from the physical world. And so what is being created in this technology of cloning babies or whatever in the physical world is the soul and the body. What they can't provide is that spirit, unless it's a spirit of a demon spirit, an angelic spirit, or perhaps um, be able to transfer a spirit. And whether that thought that's possible or not i don't get any scripture that says it is possible or it isn't Mm. possible so i don't know i i think unlikely but maybe it's possible uh but that's on my own biases coming through there and my own speculation so (laughs) (laughs) i'm hoping you can't do that (laughs) what a moment of bias from gary wayne (laughs) you mean you're human after all gary what are you talking about come on now there's also (laughs) one other biblical reference that we need to be aware of that happens in polytheism but it is demonstrated once in the bible and and some people might infer twice and certainly possible with the serpent in in eden with satan but at the time when jesus was here judas was set to betray jesus but was not finding an ability to sort of get over the hump so we're told in the bible that Uh, Satan entered into Judas and gave him the strength and the wisdom. And that's the avatar, avatara effect. The avatar is the fallen angel and the avatara is the one who receives it. And that seems to be a more Mm -hmm. symbiotic relationship. And they call that an incarnation. So we want to be careful with that word because Vishnu incarnated into Buddha to give him the wisdom and he incarnated you know several times shiva the destroyer god also incarnated 
Um, and in one case, to Nereshima, a lion god that Aslan is based on in Lewis's writings that if Jesus were to incarnate on another planet, this might be what it would look like using a polytheist example. Um, so we want to be careful of that, of how that word is, is, is used, I think. And so we have this concept of a symbiotic relation with an angel, but a non-symbiotic relationship in most possessions. Now, in one mm -hmm. exception to that is, is adepts in polytheism, as in shamans, mm -hmm. as in court jesters, as in the crazy clown spirit, as in mm -hmm. um, receiving a demon spirit in. There's more of because either the rituals or whatever process they go through that they can receive some power and knowledge from the demons. Mm hmm. Um, and it's a symbiotic relationship. It's not a possession. And they invited them in. Now, we don't know what that really is because once the demon's in, they usually don't share in a positive way. They take control. So we don't know yep. whether or not that's a symbiotic relationship or just the demon spirit that's in total control there. But I would lean for the demon control, but that's my biases again. So, mm -hmm. um, so we have that going on. And then... So they're offering to get back to the question. <laughs> Sorry about the rabbit trail. No, I have like three more hole. questions because yeah. of this. Yeah. So I yeah. do too. <laughs> they're going to promise humans that they can transfer your consciousness and your spirit into that new body. But in reality, it is creating oiketarians for the disembodied spirits of the giants both Raphaim and Nephilim to enter into bodies, to interact with us in the world. And I think that this also starts to account for some of these crazy type of chimera type beings that are pictured in Joel 1 and 2 and in Revelation 9 in the counterfeit Armageddon that are going to be part of that counterfeit Armageddon in those bodies after the abyss is opened in Revelation 9, and it happens just before the midpoint of, of, of the last seven years. So I think sort of all of that kind of comes together. And then two other things is we have in Daniel 2.42, we have the descendants of the metallic empires who are going to commingle their mm -hmm. seed with human. So that sounds like a physical relationship of somehow they're going to be able to do this. So either new ones are created or it's the descendants or they're in these clone bodies of some sort where they're going to be part of the 10 kings. Mm -hmm. And you can also, but because of that sort of commingling of the seed, I'm leaning a little bit away from this, but you could understand that commingling as a commingling as in a demon or an evil spirit into an oikotarian body. Right. Mm -hmm. You could by the definitions that you get coming out of Hebrew, you could make that interpretation. But it's and it's got to fit with other passages and right. right in the seed part. That's a physical thing. That's got nothing right. to do with the spirit. Right. Yeah. So that's yeah, why yeah. I kind of a little bit leaning against there. But think about that image of the beast that speaks. Right. That's yeah. working with AI. Um, which may be another type of oiketarian that is being created for these demon spirits. And also think about a line in the, um, Revelation 16 where there are demons that come out of the mouth of the false prophet and the Antichrist to gather mm -hmm. the kings for the world. Well, <clears throat> you could 
translate that two ways. One is could be that he's sending out demons that have occupied in him, as we've talked about, might be possible. Although I think if anything, Antichrist is going to have more of a um, a bad Napoleon Azazel type of avatar in him, or uh, he receives the power from the dragon, which also could be a reference. And also in 2 Thessalonians, he gets his authority and all of his bag of tricks from Satan. Um, it could be Satan as his avatar, just as Judas had Satan as, as an avatar. So I would lean a little bit more that way. But he, the language could be also interpreted as he commands with his mouth for the demons to go and rally the kings of the earth for Armageddon. Because the devil is, as you take that back to, to Greek, is defined not only as Satan, and, not, and also in Revelation as the serpent and the dragon, but also Diabolos is defined as the leader of the demons. Mm -hmm. And Antichrist, if he has that power in them, he could be commanding those demons. And we know... Yeah there's an ability to command demons, right? If you're at a certain rank or power. Yeah. Um, is there also precedent for that with, uh, with the ring of Solomon? Yeah, I think there's, there's something to that. If we want to believe that Solomon used demons to build the Holy temple. Right. Yeah. 33 <laughs> degrees of which. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's funny how they worship him, you know? Yeah. So I, you know, could, could Solomon have had that power? No, you know, no doubt. Would he have yeah. used demons to build God's house on earth? Probably not. Probably not. No. Well, there's such a there's such a, um, a sexual aspect to everything. When you talk about symbiotic uh, relationships, you know, you, the term avatar and avatara, avatara being the feminine, being the receiver, you know, um, and you talk about, you know, uh, the incarnation car carnal, you know, there, there is like this, this aspect, this motif that still revolves back to the sons of God and Genesis mm -hmm. six, this, this process, whether it is a metaphysical or preternatural and then physical process, or whether it is a supernatural process, there is a sort of giving and receiving, you know, almost um, without being crass, but a coital nature to these kinds of things. And um, it's just, it's almost like it's hardwired or baked into the, you know, into the concept. Uh, it's, it's just interesting. I, and I've never heard anybody talk about any of that before. You know, no one, everyone shies away from it. So. Well, it's, yeah, because they don't want people to know the truth on it. And yeah. it will make it easier to deceive the people that an incarnated Antichrist mm -hmm. um, is um, something we is in, in everybody's religion. Well, it's not in everybody's religion. It's a polytheist <laughs> concept. And yeah. then they're going to say, what, even though Jesus did not have that happen to him as a resurrection, he did have an incarnation. Mm -hmm. of satan or vishnu just as buddha did because they're going to classify him as a buddha as a confucius right. as a hermes as one of those ones sent along the way mm -hmm. and so we hear that <clears throat> knowledge today that the messiah or antichrist will be an incarnation 
in mm-hmm. that when you see the Christ consciousness. Yep. That's the termed as, yeah, that's inter- termed as an incarnation. And the Christ consciousness is what they say is the same thing that the Bible teaches. No, it's not. Mm-mm, but that's, no, it the, is not. that's the polytheist interpretation that they well, it is on it. It is if it's the spirit of Antichrist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But not the truth. And I and I with the with respect to these uh, babies being grown in the ecto life or that will be grown in the ecto life factories, mm-hmm. uh, it seems that as you said they'll have a body and a soul, but there's no gut, there's no spirit. They have to be a host. Yeah, there has to. Where's the spirit going to come from? From the demons, I guess. Right. Yeah, well, that's the demons will host that, and yeah, uh, yeah. And, and 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 unless the fallen angels were had that ability to make their own oiketarian away, they wouldn't need that. But if maybe if they do, they'll use that as well. But they can't be just babies because one of the problems with the technology, at least today of growing things in a lab is that they don't live for very long. So a baby oh, has yeah. no ability to grow to adulthood. So expect that that technology will, you know, jump forward to create full bodies like a true Frankenstein, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, they told us they're going to do this in their literature. And so when you see the energy that's used to bring life to Frankenstein, which is kind of a Camaro type of creature within um, humanity, putting different parts of different humans in there, as opposed to different kinds of animals, like a chimera type of unicorn would be that the Nephilim and the Raphaim rode on. Mm-hmm. Um, you would there, you would expect those, those enhanced bodies in this sort of form. And in the Frankenstein allegory that they're overlaying, you have lightning as the energy to bring it to life. Mm-hmm. That's the quickening process allegory so that when you see the quickening in the highlander which would be another example they're bringing that spirit that energy to put it in Mm -hmm. and that you know we do get the word quickening used in the bible once when jesus is talked about going down to talk to the angels in the abyss i think that's there just for you know translators put another marker in there but anyways (laughs) it doesn't quite mean the same thing as the as the occult as it does when jesus was still in the grave so you have uh this transferring of the spirit in the quickening yeah that will give it life so i think they have to have it uh at ability where they can sort of keep it going uh, but it can't live on its own until it receives that spirit yeah so i suppose you could grow it into adulthood but why would they want to wait that long Right. Unless yeah. they could, uh, uh, in sci-fi, there's the concept of flash clones, which are rapidly accelerated uh, what, maturation of cloning what, devices. And what a horrible, and they they think this is all for, you know, for humanity's benefit, but what a crime against humanity when you're going to grow something in a lab to adulthood and then bring it to life or consciousness. Yeah. yeah and yeah. it never even experiences a childhood. Well, they'll implant those memories from a from a database and what really yeah. sort of nails it they can't even keep an animal alive because an animal right. has a spirit too yeah it's just a different kind of spirit as we're explained in the bible mm-hmm. and the spirit that comes from heaven so yeah. there's something there that they they don't have that they can create with the mm-hmm. technology because seemingly only god can create 
the spirit being that would fit into a body with the soul and the body in the physical world. And what's interesting is, is that we're told that when we're resurrected, we're going to receive a new kind of body, the kind of body Jesus had when he was yeah. here that was resurrected, that uh, went back to heaven because physical bodies don't go to heaven. You can go there in vision, but you mm -hmm. don't tend to go there yeah. in within the body form. And but Jesus' body did, right? Mm -hmm. As it was yeah. resurrected. And that's yeah. the new body that we're going to receive. So we'll have a physical body that can have an oikotarian and either in heaven or on earth. And it doesn't have to be recreated all the time when you're going back and forth. It's awesome. Do you think there is an attempt to shortcut uh, that holy process uh, with the employment of CERN? Because there's some weird stuff going on at CERN, Gary. There is. I'm just not sure what. I had about six doors open up there. So um... <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> really? Uh, I'll be honest with bit. you. The <laughs> question, the question that we had was literally just talk about CERN. Talk about CERN. Yeah. <laughs> you could literally talk about anything you wanted yeah. with CERN. Okay. And, um, <laughs> But, yeah, you know, it seems like it's so weird because they're and I hope this helps. I don't know if yeah. this helps or not. Or just tell me to shut up. Um, yeah. You know, I don't with CERN. They are it looks like they're one attending attempting to rend the veil. Mm -hmm. There have been um, some videos and some reports of them uh, saying that they have communicated with entities on the other side, mm -hmm. whether that's some sort of DMT machine elves or, you know, demonic entities, which I think are the same thing. Um and then there's the rapid advancement of artificial intelligence, which seems to sort of play into right. this oikotarian that you're talking about. You yeah. Know. So what happens at CERN and other places around the world, but saying CERN is the, certainly the most famous one, is you have a merging of technologies for whatever they're trying to do. And we get the superficial story of what they're trying to do. But AI and quantum computing are key. Mm -hmm. And so quantum computing is required to go into different dimensions. Right. Uh, and AI allows quantum computing to go and search in multiple dimension, dimensions and multiple locations at the same time and program yeah. for what they're looking for. Right. So not that single sort of shot. So when we're looking at that, that is like creating a portal into yeah. another world, right? Like a Stargate. Mm -hmm. um, what's interesting about that, and I'll digress and then go forward, is that an Antichrist type figure with a polytheist universal religion in the time of Babel, that's the root word for Babylon for the end time, because nothing is new under the sun, yep. is building this great power with knowledge that isn't explained in the bible but it's so much so much so powerful that unless god prevents them from finishing anything they intend to do won't be prevented from them doing it's that powerful and so he disperses the language and babel comes out of the hebrew word as meaning confusion of languages based on that but nimrod stays in shinar which is sumer Mm -hmm. And in the Akkadian version of the Tower of Babel, Babel doesn't mean confusion of the languages. 
It means Bab, as in gateway, and El, or Elu, as you'll see mm. a translator, Babalu or Babal, means a mm. god or an angel. So this is a gateway or a portal uh -huh. of the gods. And so yeah. in the mythology of, of Nimrod, who's rebellious, as we're understood, and leads the Noahites astray as a, an antichrist-type architect, he, in <clears throat> polytheist versions, is threatening God by building this tower that if uh, he attempts to bring about a flood or a catastrophe like that again, he's going to go into heaven and kill him either with a sword or shooting him with an arrow. And he does these great sort of stunts of shooting arrows into the, into the sky and some of the mythologies. Well, we know you can't build a physical tower even to get out of the firmament, let, the, let alone get into the third right. heaven, which is the being of the... Uh, uh, of the uh, spirit beings, let alone into the second heaven and beyond the sun. So he's building the Stargate because he wants to be able to not only, I think, get into the abyss to release his um, gods, the ones who created the Nephilim before the flood, and then likely the offspring gods like Baal and mm -hmm. Enki and Enlil, which would be in Mesopotamia as offspring gods, they would have done the same thing of creating giants and also gone into the abyss. So he wants to release them, and he may even want to go into heaven. And moving that forward to the end time, you have Daniel 8.10 with Antichrist, who actually goes into heaven and throws down some of the starry host to trample on it. And that's the same timing when that happens as the war in heaven in Revelation 12. So it's talking, I think, as you start to connect those dots about an ability to get into another dimensions. And so CERN is probably wanting to be able to do both. They want to get those gods out like Nimrod was wanting to do out of the abyss. And they also want the ability to launch a war into heaven to try and overthrow God as Revelation 12 talks about. So that's one aspect of it. But another aspect about CERN is, is this searching in multiple dimensions. Yeah. And uh, one of the things is that we, we hear about any you know, of Elon Musk and other people that once you're into AI, you're dealing with demons. Like there's an oiketarian ability for them to communicate. We also know that um, in quantum computing, you have a history that goes back into the up and chads of the Vedas. And so all of the pioneers of quantum computing and quantum math in the early period and continues even forward to this day. And I've had scientists come back and say, you know, nobody has said what you've ever said on this isn't it's absolutely true. And we're encouraged to read it and it just conceptualizes it. I'm going to get there in a second. So you have, all of these scientists who are going, to, who are uh, working on quantum com, um, mechanics, and they're told to learn about what's written in the Veda so that they can understand what they're trying to do. And now so, I have become death, the destroyer of worlds. That's why they have a statue that's of the Shiva. Part of it. That's yeah. That, yeah. That's part of it because they want to get the destroyer out of the abyss as one of the things that they want to do and right? take them with them into heaven yeah. so that they can yeah. overthrow God uh, and to rebirth in uh, polytheism. You need to destroy the old to have yes. something new. So that's part of Kill the that whole concept. So what 
the scientists uh, who consulted the Vedas is they believe that quantum computing was perfectly in line with what it says in the Vedas. They said it's uh, it's the conclusion and the fulfillment of Veda thought. It is the mechanics and the particle coals of consciousness that they're looking for in another dimension um, that they're wanting to find. And it's called an Atman particle that they're searching for, or an Atma particle, A-T-M-A or A-T-M-A-N. It's used as both. And they need to go into multiple uh, dimensions to be able to do this. And in the uh, <clears throat> line of thought is in, in the Vedas is basically that the Atma particle is invisible. You cannot measure it. You cannot really find it. Whereas other particles, you may not be able to see from a layman sort of perspective, but you can measure it, right? You can mm -hmm. find it. Yeah. And this Atma particle, it merges with a particle that we can measure. And it is works through quantum entanglement to transfer things. And the Atma particle is the embodiment of all knowledge that is through quantum entanglement being transferred instantly throughout all the dimensions, all the universes, instantaneously, all the time and ongoing. And they want to be able to tap into that for that unlimited knowledge that I had talked about earlier in the show as part of the implant system that will connect you into this to make you like a god. That's why they also need to give that physical immortality aspect of this. But there's another piece in here that makes a lot of sense about why the people who are going to take the mark are going to burn forever in the lake of fire along with the demons and along with yeah, why is the fallen that? angels. And so a lot of people say it's, it's about changing your DNA. And I think that's half the equation um, that they're going to create a different hybrid individual and, and, and do what, what, what happened before the flood, which was make the whole world corrupt, the whole earth mm -hmm. corrupt. That's the Hebrew word shakath, which means to decay, to destroy, to ruin, to change. And so that you're trying to change God's creation into like what the Nephilim are trying to do in the Raphaim is, is get that DNA throughout humankind and change them as a hybrid, right? By intermarrying with them or destroy them completely, which is the ultimate goal. Mm -hmm. But that's only part of it. So... There is uh, a couple other things that comes out of the Vedas, and I'm going to read this um, in uh, in in the and it comes from the uh, Bhagavad Gita. Oh yes, the Bhagavad Gita. <laughs> yeah, the one mm -hmm. that I always be careful with because it sometimes gives me a sprained tongue trying to say it. So. <laughs> yeah, it defeats my German tongue every time. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> and uh, so. In verse 8.3, it's called the main essence of a man is the Atman. So it's a main essence. This is something greater in their belief system. Wow. In 6.7, it says, he who perceives knows uh, consciousness with the Atman and becomes of the divine consciousness. So you've heard that term, mm -hmm. divine consciousness, mm -hmm. that they're trying to 
uh, get us to be one with the universe or one with the divine consciousness. It's the same term. 610, uh, things like yoga are used to mediate into the Atman yep. so that you're opening up into a portal that you're actually creating and to invite uh, not only this knowledge, but also demons or and or angels would come in for that possession or avatar. Yes. Right. It's um, why it, it drives me crazy when churches will host like yoga night. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, are you kidding? Like, do you not yeah. know it's what ritual. you're doing? Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Yes. So they use yoga to bring oneself in union with the divine consciousness. Mm -hmm. And in 618, and when, when you're one with the universe, you're in divine harmony with the, and I'm going somewhere with this on the buildup. So 1322 divine Atma is the divine spirit. It's the supreme spirit within your being, the divine spirit. But it's more than that. And the divine Atma can reside in bodies, uh, but does not intermix with the body like particles. So again, it's this the spirit thing that's coming in. Uh, and, uh -huh. the, and in chapter 10, it says it's the source of everything and of wise worship. And this is the supreme spirit, as in the Holy Spirit. Right. This is uh, the being that is going to be the sin that is not forgiven. And the only sin that's not forgiven is a blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. So this mm -hmm. is like the mother goddess of wisdom. This is Sophia as philosophy means the love of wisdom or the love of Sophia. Sophia is the wisdom goddess and the creator through this other nebulous force in, in Gnosticism to create the great 12 archons that they would say our God is part of and went rogue. Yeah. This is the counterfeiting of the Holy Spirit. And you're going to see a dual, dualistic religion come back with the parent God and the mother God. So father God, mother God is part of that dual religion. Yep. yep. And this is part of the fertility goddessing that's coming back. So this is the crime against uh, the Holy Spirit on two levels, because the Holy Spirit provides the life mm -hmm. and and that they're trying to create a body that's going to corrupt that spirit in a way that is not acceptable for the laws of creation. And then it's the counterfeiting and raising of that mod mother goddess level that is not the Holy Spirit. That is a fallen angel uh, who had the ability yeah. to make male gods and female goddesses um uh, that you know still rule this world you know from the council of the gods mm -hmm. ma'am what then do you think the mark might actually be or look like well it's still developing so it, it's going to be a development of uh, several of these lanes of technology. So as you see quantum computing merging with uh, AI, you're going to see cryptocurrency technology merge into that. Uh -huh. You're going to see the ability of medicine with the very primitive digital type of uh, pharmacia that was introduced in the last pestilence. Uh -huh that mm -hmm. works at the gene level will go eventually down in the digital medical system into the bot level um, mm -hmm. 
you know, where quantum mechanics rules and the whole building platform of, 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 of our being. And this is all and more is going to be part of this cloud or core central knowledge base that the implant's going to be um, connected into. And yeah. it's going to provide all of your medication. It's going to provide you long life um, and probably promise the ability to transfer consciousness into when the body does need to be replaced with the clone body. And mm -hmm. so it's that whole system. It's the beast system all merged together. And if we look at Revelation 18, 23, it says that Babylon, who builds the beast system that Antichrist takes over and introduces the mark, Babylon deceived the nations through her sorceries. In other English translations, other than the KGV, it says magic spells. The word is pharmakia, from which you get pharmacy, pharmacy. pharmaceuticals. Yep. It can uh, also yeah. mean magic spells and things like that and chemical uh -huh. alchemy. So this is what she deceives the world through. She's building the B system and she controls trade. Yeah. She's the universal religion. The dual mm -hmm. mother goddess thing is all being built by, by Babylon and will be funneled in with this mark. Now, I think we're going to see prototypes that aren't the mark of the beast that come along before. So just mm -hmm. as that will be used to discredit people for yeah. saying, hey, you got it all wrong. Didn't happen. They're going to get ones out there before the true mark comes along that's backed by precursors. Yeah, yeah, precursors, and yeah. but it's backed by the image of the beast that houses demons in its AI, right? So it's all part of that whole central kind of system. And so we get an indication of this from the Davos crowd that's overseen by the Committee of 300. Um, and we noticed that they just went into the G20 and the B20 together where they're going to double down on a whole bunch of things like the vaccine passports that's going to merge with the Alibaba <laughs> technology and with oh, the yeah. block currency that they're going to do. And it works on blockchains for social credits, right? So Social credit system. Oh, gosh, yeah, that's horrifying. So, you can't destroy anything in those blockchains, but they're all interconnected. So it's going to mm -hmm. be a ranking system for you to do anything in the world as they start put it together. You might not be able to go to a football game unless you have the right social credit score. You mm -hmm. may not be able to have money in a bank account if yep. you don't have the right social credit. I mean, they will use it because everything's interconnected and they can track you on everything you say and do. Mm -hmm. And so this is that technology that is coming down that the Davos crowd said would be introduced through the healthcare system as an implant to give the people the health that they're going to demand to have. Nope. Mm -hmm. Nope. <laughs> I got to get that jab. I got to get that booster. Uh, give me that DNA yeah. crypto booster. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And poor kids and a significant yeah. part of that social credit thing, as I talked about it at the G20 is, is that the environment uh, will be in there. That would be a huge part of the uh, nature religion that's coming and a prerequisite for a decent score that you have to be actively um, measuring and monitoring and improving your carbon imprint and a whole bunch of other social things that they're going to use to control you with. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you can't work. You can't you and, can't and drive your car more than 10 miles. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And when 
when they get to the point where they want to bring in the global reset, where they want to take all your cash away, all your assets away, mm -hmm. you're going to be locked into this system. And, you know, they can't give you a lot of money. They'll take away your debt. But now you're going to have to work every day for um, your bread, so to speak, to, to mm -hmm. be able to exist. And depending on what your social score will be, how much you're going to be able to earn. Yep. Your bug bread. If they're gonna <laughs> leave, they're gonna eat bugs. Yeah. And, oh yeah. You're not. Uh, you're not gonna eat the good food. Oh no. Mm -hmm. no yeah, that's absolutely. only for the elites. Talk, talk about the good. nature religion. Talk about the nature religion. Yeah. Yeah. We know what you mean, but yeah. Yeah. Well, in the nature religion, you have um, a number of sort of gods that kind of link into this Cern uh, mm -hmm. and Shiva allegory, and Azazel. Um, abyss i mean the whole thing becomes a link uh through through apollyon so when we look at uh, shiva as a destroyer god understand that azazel is the destroyer god of the antediluvian world he's the one who taught illicit knowledge on an unprecedented scale he taught the art of war the art of making weapons mm -hmm. and basically was out to destroy that world through the nephilim who he provided all of this to and he's called the scapegoat right he's the mm -hmm. one um who was labeled in the book of enoch for all of the sins and um sent to sent to the abyss although the occult has him hung at Orion in, a, in another lane doesn't really matter. He's being punished. Uh, mm -hmm. You also have a second goat that is sacrificed on the Day of Atonement. It's called the scapegoat, oh. mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And uh, and in the King James version, you get scapegoat. In other versions, you get the Hebrew word, which is azazel. Mm -hmm. So this is a ah. second goat. We're not told what the sins are for, but seemingly for the sins of azazel or the sins of the antediluvian world that was being sacrificed to well you have these goat gods that are quite prominent they're known as satyrs in the bible mm -hmm. uh, or satir as it's in hebrew sa have a little apostrophe because it's a compound word uh i y r satir and that's the word that seer is transliterated in which is a derivative off the satir word and it kind of means hairy for seer um but in satire it can be hairy shaggy a he goat and it's also the name for azazel of of the watchers and it's also in hebrew known as a devil goat god uh, and and isn't seir uh in edom where petra is yeah in yeah. scripture isn't that that, mount that area mount, yeah. yeah mount seir yeah, oh, and, wow. and Petra, okay. Petra was the was the home of the Amalekim giants, and then the Malachites, which are the hybrids that are born later in in mm -hmm. the Genesis thirty six and First Chronicles uh, accounting, will in you know live with the Amalekim, and that will be their central city, mm. um, before they you know are almost all but wiped from the from the face of the earth. So, uh, so this word Sa'ir comes from two words one meaning sa and there's a couple other words that would be extension like sayar and a few other hebrew words means hairy or shaggy okay, perfect sense and ear mm -hmm. is the word for watcher that shows up in daniel four four times so this is a hairy shaggy watcher oh boy 
degraded one because they were seraphim, Whoa. right? For the, That's a right? bit on the nose. Also, is that Sasquatch? Here, no, I'm just Could that be? No, <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, that yeah. would be, no, no. It, it <laughs> might be an offspring of a degraded watcher after the flood. Kind of, right? Yeah. yeah. Just yeah. as you have the pan god and these goat gods are very much uh, you know, affiliated with illicit sex and particularly with young yes. females, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and other ones, other crimes as well. So this is a major god as it would be if it was an Azazel or a Watcher-like angel that is around after the flood because they're degraded. So one presumes these satyrs are the degraded gods that, and also show up in the book of Leviticus and Chronicles as devil gods being worshipped as well. So uh, that goes back to the word satyr as well, two times. Um, so they're part of the nature aspect. And if you look at the Mother Earth polytheism, Polytheism is a nature religion, and the gods, mm -hmm. for a lot of part, are are sort of interrelated with the nature, and they're related with the nature in terms of being storm gods or fertility gods for God. All their agendas have an allegorical part of ensuring the physical world, the nature of this world, um, continue is sort mm -hmm. of in terms yeah. of their uh, of their uh, understanding and in that you have some very important uh gods that are very high up in the hierarchy like azazel would be the elite uh, the a, the leader and he has been portrayed as a goat god right so mm -hmm. uh even though he would have been a watcher seraphim angel before the flood you have the pan god right that jesus went to before you know announcing he's going to create his church with Peter, right? He's announcing mm -hmm. to the pan god um, at Mount Hermon <laughs> what he's going to do. Like, he's basically saying, your world order is coming to an end, and this is the start, and there's nothing you can do about it. That's another <laughs> show in itself. But Bacchus is a goat god of the Roman pantheon. Mm -hmm. uh, Baphomet is the god of the Templars and the secret societies. He's a goat mm -hmm. god. Um, you have another uh, Greek, uh, I'm just going to bring, make sure people understand there's more than one or two of these goat gods. It's a whole order of degraded watchers. Yeah. Um, you got Idrapan is another name that comes out. Phanos mm -hmm. out of the Greek is another one where Phan comes from and why mm -hmm. you get that association. Inus is another one, which is thought to be connected to incubus and things like that in terms of those types of, of demons. Then you have two other ones that are very, very important to understand and understanding that Shiva is the equivalent of Azazel as the destroyer god, Abaddon and Apollyon is a, not an angel's name. It's a title meaning destroyer. And just as Antichrist mm. is the son of perdition, which goes back to the same words that produce Apollyon. Um, and I think that, you know, you could mean that as a genealogy or receives power in part from the destroyer god, just as Abad is also used in the destruction of Babylon in Jeremiah 51 is the root word for Abaddon, destroyer, meaning destroyer. And just as Antichrist is going to destroy Babylon after he comes to power as recorded in Revelation 17. Understanding all of that, Cernunos is a Celtic god of nature, also known as the Hern god. So sometimes you see him oh, also yeah. with, with the horns. So when you see the horn mm -hmm. gods of 
of uh, the Norse. It's the same nature gods. They just have sort of different names. But when you link in the horn gods, you start to bring all the pantheons back together because these devil goat gods had horns, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the two horns um, that Ashtaroth um, at uh, Kiriath Ashtaroth represents and means two horns of the bull cult, the you know of 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 uh, Mount Hermon, and so the other one which is really important is that in the Roman religion there was a religion and people there before the Romans that the Romans intermarried with. These were the Etruscans, and the Etruscans were part mm -hmm. of the Indo-Aryans, just as the Greeks intermarried with the Scythian Indo-Aryans. Um, and received most of their gods and their religions from the aboriginal giants. This god's name is CERN, C-E-R-N. No way. It is. And that's where the acronym to cover up. I didn't know that. Comes from. They just created words around so they could actually use the name of the CERN god. They wanted, they wanted that right. acronym. Yeah. Yep. Wow. They did. Whoa. That's <laughs> so good. That's I think the so particles good. just collided in my brain. Like, <laughs> hey, uh, amazing. Well, I was going to ask so, actually right now. So, uh, so let's oh, just, go ahead. Just, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I'm sorry. I just got to get this out before yeah, I get. Yeah. So, Saint Genie Pouilly, where CERN is located very, very close to, um, is the ancient table uh, temple dedicated to guess who? Apollyon. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Really? Just waiting yes, to come out of is. the abyss. Yeah. And mm -hmm. in 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 Greek, Apollo, which comes out of that word, different god, but it comes out of the mm -hmm. same set of words. Apollo is the Greek god of death and pestilence. The destroyer god, right? Yeah. And as well as being a sun god. Right. And so Apollo, um, you know, he's also kind of associated with Apollo in the Etruscan uh, pantheon, which is, again, another name for the for, for the CERN god. So an Apollo would be uh, um, the Apollo of the Sumerian pantheon, which would be Anki. So you see this sort of going through different pantheons with similar kind of names. And that uh, I, I don't think that you have to be located at you know, Saint Johnny Pui, um, and Pui uh, derives in Latin from a, a polyacu for Apollyon. It's the Latin version of Apollyon. So everything sort of etymologically connects there. Uh -huh. But I don't think that's the ne necessary absolute location where you got to go directly into the earth to get to the abyss because the abyss is in another dimension. Yeah. Right. So it, you could you could access it anywhere, but I think it's just the ritualistic symbology of the location mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is why the Europeans, because this is European money that's doing it, decided to mm -hmm. uh, build the CERN location at. And for people who don't know, you know, how CERN sort of got going, it was the birthplace for the World Wide Web. No kidding. Really? It I is. always thought it was and, DARPA. Ooh, yeah, so it's good. a little older than people sort of give it credit to. And, uh, you know, it sort of pioneered the ability to link into different sort of web pages and, and things like that. So oh, it's really? a technology place. And, 
it has uh, the right the CERN people who are behind have the right to speak at the UN general meetings as a debater. That's how powerful they are. They have the right wow. to sign on to resolutions and vote in procedural matters. No kidding. They have the right as uh, signatories for doing working papers. And CERN believes they are a vehicle for social change. So you get into that social credit thing. Again. Oh boy, here we go. Yeah. Yep. So they believe mm. in, you know, they're doing things on STEM technology, um, which is very significant to them. And um, it is the sort of the main body, uh, main body of uh, language that is connected into plant life and the organics and the nature of the world. And that plant, stem technology that stem mm -hmm. is their allegory for thel uh, thelmic and the thelemic tree yeah so the mm -hmm. thelemic tree is that world tree that mm -hmm. connects heaven and earth and its roots goes down into the bottom half of the domed world in in its imagery mm -hmm. that's hades that's their heaven and the roots provide the power and the knowledge up into the world that they govern. That's yeah. their whole belief system. So everything is sort of um, worked through their their imagery, their symbolism. Their, yeah. Yes. So their iconography. And, yeah. Yeah, and they also have a um, an Atlas project, if you can believe it or not. Really? Atlas. Yeah, Atlas is what it's called, the Atlas experiment. Of course, Atlas is the son of Poseidon and Clido as one of the 10 kings of the Atlantean Empire, just as Francis Bacon, a Rosicrucian, wrote the New Atlantis, which has a merging of religion and science in the end time and a rebirth of the Atlantean civilization with 10 kings. Um, the, again, they use the same sort of type of imagery. That's the same number of kings that are coming in end time prophecy for the seventh empire, where you have a universal Babylon religion. Mm -hmm. And it is, you know, it is the largest detector ever constructed at CERN. So it was the most powerful. There may be other ones since then, and it searches for new particles in the Atlas project. And it is an experimental behemoth, as they like to oh. call it, because they located of course it on they the land. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. If they, if it was on the sea, they would have called it Leviathan. Right? Uh-huh. <laughs> Of course they would. Uh, yes. Uh -huh. Yeah. So again, you get all of this imagery that is sort of being um, encompassed. It's blasphemous in, in nature, no matter what it is. It's a blasphemy mm -hmm. on their part, you know, a spitting in God's face. So now this cosmic dance of Shiva mm -hmm. that is uh, shown in videos and stuff and part of their rituals, um, it was a dance of of the god of shiva and shiva is sometimes um depicted in a burning halo or an orb yes. what's interesting about an orb is that it would house a face which was thought to be a god now in the 
Yeah, so anytime you see faces, whether it's a sun face within an orb, that's mm -hmm. usually yeah. representing a god in polytheism. And that's because there's a line of thought that the gods would come through a different dimension through an <clears throat> orb. And so as they're starting oh, to okay. materialize into a physical body through the orb, and then that goes back to the quantum mechanics that we had talked about, that it's thought yeah. to be a quantum bubble that they're going back between dimensions on, and it shows up in imagery as a circle, but it's actually this, this quantum bubble that they're able to go through dimensions with and then change into a physical form. And Shiva is show, associated with the creation of the earth because Shiva destroys the earth to recreate it. And of course, that dance is the dance of Shiva that they're dancing to in those rituals. Mm -hmm. um, so the exotic particles that they're that they're looking for to sort of bring all of this about, some of them call it the pentaquark, and some of them call it tetraquarks that are in in um, pair in, in pairs. Um, but I still think they're looking for something even more than that. So I mean, this, the yeah. technology wow. to be able to do what they're looking for is 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 uh and what they're looking for is something that you can't measure so this is just a building block to what they're actually looking for so this whole idea that they're trying to cre uh, figure out how the, the universe was created you know it may be a side thing they never really get it done so what are they really uh -huh. doing <laughs> yeah. um, it's just a rouge yep yep Hey, if you guys have been enjoying this interview and you'd like to hear the rest of it, including some really down and dirty stuff that we're not allowed to say here on YouTube, uh, head over to patreon.com forward slash the goslings. We'd love to have your support there and share exclusive content with you. That's right. Keep it cool. And remember, these are interviews that strike down the darkness. They do indeed strike down the darkness. They strike down all the darkness. That's right. Strike it down hard. So hard. So hard. Well, that's it for this episode, guys. We would love it if you tell your friends about the show, maybe leave us a good review. And also consider becoming an honorary Gosling. An official exclusive membership to the Gosling gets you exclusive access to interviews and conversations that we can't have on YouTube. Plus, you'll get free digital downloads of some of our books and excerpts and writing. Uh, also, and check this out, you get to participate in a live monthly Discord chat with us. Uh, we do this once a month now. Um, all this plus more if you join our community on Patreon for just $5 a month. I mean, that's nothing. $5 a month, it's a cup of coffee. So go to patreon.com forward slash the goslings and sign up today. Thanks for listening. Now go forth and strike down the darkness.